Shortly after my wife Carol and I first moved to our new home a few years ago here in Hawaii, uh, it became pretty apparent to us both that this was a bird sanctuary. And we really loved the fact that it was a bird sanctuary because uh, everyone needs a vacation, right? <laughs> Especially birds. And plopped down in the middle of this sort of deserty area is this little oasis full of trees and greenery. And we knew ourselves well enough to know that we would um, be taking care of the land to help take care of the birds. And soon we started hearing new birds. Um, different birds migrate here for sure during different seasons, um, even as from as far away as Alaska, um, including snowbirds, which are elderly people. But we won't talk about that. No, no. Uh, but we started hearing birds that we loved when we went to Volcano that we never heard anywhere else. And we started hearing them here. So we were really uh, excited for this place to be that, to be a respite for birds. And then along came the pigs. But again, another story. <laughs> um, yesterday... I um, woke up early for, I don't know, no reason, and started editing essays at uh, four, I should say, ourundoing.com. Um, I don't really maintain any new uh, lifetime memberships. Like, I don't advertise that or anything, but I still have lifetime members. And so they get the new stuff first. Um and the old stuff I'm still trotting out uh, for free to the public. Uh, so it gives me another chance to revisit them and edit them and not just put them out the way I originally gave them to lifetime members, but um, to make sure they're they're even better than they were originally. And uh, so that's kind of what I was doing, editing um, for the website with my early morning. And uh, I heard a the thump of a bird into a window, which is not a common occurrence, but it happens. And it's weird, too, because it's not as though our windows are bare. Um, we do have, looking at it now, like one window that's bare, and nobody goes into that. <laughs> they all seem to want to go into the windows that have curtains. I don't know what that's about. But when it happens, it's like you can tell, you know, it's probably not terribly traumatic bird smashes into the window and flies away or you know worst case scenario is of course they die that's happened a couple of times um sometimes they hit so hard that they uh have to get their bearings for um, a minute or so on the porch and then they fly away and it always feels awful when that happens of course um but yes so yesterday I heard um, smack into the window and thump onto the porch. So I knew this bird had hit hard and I wasn't going to be surprised if it was dead. Um, so I went out and looked and there it was. It was lying there and you would swear it was dead. It was on its back. It had one wing um, completely out to its side with its leg out to its side on the wing. And the other leg was like crumpled up into itself and it was just lying there. I thought dead. It had a little twitch to it, which I thought was its nervous system. And I started talking to it, just saying, you okay? Are you, uh, you know, are you alive kind of thing? 
and I patted it with my finger a couple of times to see if it would react, and it didn't. So I, uh, but it was still sort of twitching, and, uh, you know, I was thinking in my head, like, okay, am I going to go put this in the forest, or what am I going to do? Um, and then its neck started to twitch a little, and I thought, okay, maybe it's still alive. So it's it, it moved its beak a little bit, and I was like, okay, the, the bird's alive. So I decided, all right, maybe what I will do is try to meditate it, you know, activate the kundalini energy, sit here next to it, cross-legged, and um, let the energy do whatever it's going to do, and maybe we can bring this thing back from near death. Who knows? Um, so that's what I did. And I sat there and, uh, this energy maneuvered my hands around the bird. It didn't touch the bird. Um, did a bunch of gestures and stuff in the air and, uh, nothing happened. Bird didn't, you know, and I thought, you know, even uh, there's just no way, like (laughs) this was that the bird looked gone. So even as this is happening, like when this energy's going, I'm still there, so I I'm not in control. I've uh, relinquished, you know, my own personal Jeremy conscious control to um, this energy, the will of this energy, which, as I say, that is only a way of talking about it. Um, doesn't mean it's like some other entity, uh, but just that I am still in some way divorced from myself and regarding this um, aspect of larger me as its own force or its own entity. Um, and even that may or may not be true. I just Let's keep it open. Let's keep it mystery. It doesn't matter. What matters is, uh, as I'm sitting there thinking about this and thinking, okay, am I going to have to kill this bird? Because it it's probably its back is broken, like probably something awful. Definitely its legs got to be broken. And then I thought, no, this is a bird sanctuary. We're, we're not killing this bird. I, like, I, I don't even know that I could do that. That would be horrifying. But if I had to do some sort of mercy killing, could I do it? And I thought, no, this is a bird sanctuary. We're resuscitating this bird. That's what's happening. And so continued on with the, the hand gestures and the such. And then, uh, the energy does this clap and then rubbing hands kind of thing before it does other stuff. So it's like a kind of thing. And when I clap like that, uh, the bird flipped over. <laughs> and so now it was sitting there and I think it had like one leg kind of dangling between the wood planks of the uh, porch. And... But it was flipped over, you know, and I mean, now it was sort of upright. It's like, oh, okay, well, maybe we can get, maybe this bird will be okay. Obviously, its back isn't broken. Its leg has got to be broken. Uh, But I don't know. It's not moving. It's not even looking around. It's not doing anything. It's just has flipped over onto its stomach and kept doing, you know, maneuvers and gestures around the bird. Um, And the bird started becoming more alert. So it started like looking around and you could hear the whole time the bird's friends in the trees all chattering to themselves, maybe trying to egg them on. And I wondered, you know, if I weren't out there, would they be over with their friend trying to protect their friend or urging their friend to get up and fly away or what? 
You know, you start thinking about this, like, okay, so now they see me doing this and uh, clearly this giant monster has not eaten the bird, their bird friend. Uh, do they take this message to their people that we are friendly or <laughs> that this is a sanctuary? You think about these things, right? Um, so the bird is now, like I say, sort of on its belly, kind of standing and it's face is sort of darting around and it's getting its bearings and it's looking at me and it's looking around the porch and it's got to be, this bird has to be a finch of some sort. I'm thinking, I think it was a volcano bird because the friends in the trees were those making those volcano bird noises, which are very distinct. Birds from volcano have a distinct, in fact, everything volcano has a distinct sharpness to it, like a high definition contrast sharpness to it, including the sounds. The sounds are very much delineated and it's really a beautiful sound. And so it's this tiny bird um, with sort of a powdery green head and kind of a, I guess, yellowish body. And its tail is sort of V-shaped, but soft, almost like a heart, but not quite kind of like a kite. Probably some kites were patterned after this tail and it had orange on its wings, which I've never seen before. It was really pretty bird. And, um, and it was getting up and getting, uh, getting its bearings. And, but it wasn't, it still wasn't going anywhere. And I'm thinking, okay, do we, now I'm down to like, do we have, like, what do we have that we can put this bird in if we need to nurse it back to health somehow in a cage? I mean, we've got like a cat carrier <laughs> that we would had put ducks in before, but I don't know this bird, you know, even if we could rig it, I don't know. Does a wild bird like that respond well to this? Carol says no. So who knows if it would even work out, but didn't have to find out because um, meditation energy did this sort of hand pose over hovering over behind the bird and um, did two claps and the bird flew away and that was it bird lift so one moral to the story is that this truly is a bird sanctuary we gave this bird sanctuary. I helped, or this energy helped, uh, nurse it back from the brink and straight into flying out of here. Um, the other takeaway from this could be, oh, look at this guy who claims to have magical powers, right? And if I were a guru type, we'd be focusing on that. Or if I were, you know, just even like your average New Ager into self-empowerment and magic and spirituality and all that. Um, that would be what I would be promoting to you. And in fact, I would probably really literally promote it to you as here's how, and then sell it to you. Um, but here's the thing. Here's the thing about patting yourself on the back for being a healer. Uh, it does turn out that this is a bird sanctuary. That is correct, except there's one thing about that that bothers me, which is the windows are ours. I mean, we didn't build this house, but we live in it. And this house, as are most houses, is erected to keep nature out. To keep others out, quote unquote others, not just people. No one likes bugs in their home, right? We close the windows because we don't want birds flying through here. It's not tenable for us. 
that bird wouldn't have flown into the window if we weren't here because there would be no window here to fly into. And so this gets to the larger problem that we all have here on this planet and this society we've created, which is we create problems and then we solve them. <laughs> and then we <laughs> so we create problems, we solve them, and then we tend to forget that we created them in the first place. Uh, so in other words, birds don't need a sanctuary, but for us. And when we say sanctuary, we focus on the good we're doing, right? But we neglect to mention who they need sanctuary from, and it's us. Reviving this tiny, precious little bird energetically is a miracle. But it's also a miracle that birds are still with us at all when you think about it. Cutting down the trees, killing off their homes, poisoning the air and the water and the crops and the bugs. None of this is spiritual. That is just patting ourselves on the back. It's reinforcing our specialness, our narcissism. We have to remember that in the end, even with all of our do-gooding, we are harm. So long as we maintain that this normalized, dysfunctional sense of self is human nature, we are harm. Which isn't to say that it's not good that some of us also nurture and, and, and heal others through our harm. But it's not great. <laughs> and it isn't human nature to be this harmful. It's how we're rowing on a turbulent sea that we set a massive wind machine upon long ago and then forgot we did that. But it's not natural. It is the case, but it needn't be the case. I mean, part of me does think, like, yeah, I would love nothing more than for this bird to fly off with his pals and for them to feel a little more secure with us and uh, maybe talk amongst themselves about how nurturing this place truly is and how we mean them no harm, we mean them only good. When they're surrounded by, like, hunters and developers. And not that hunters are going to go after tiny finches, <laughs> but, um, you know, when there's gunshots going off in the distance, our ducks definitely react to that, scared. Uh, I'm sure other birds do too. So they at least know when they hear that, they're not going to see anyone fall that they know down dead. And I want to say, oh, good job. Carol, good job, me. And again, it's a better job than nothing. But isn't it just sad that they need a sanctuary from, from all of us? A few days prior to this party yesterday, I was out on the gazebo unleashing the meditation energy. Uh, I wish I hadn't done it in a good long while, and so I decided to do it because... Forecast is for rain uh, soon. <laughs> they keep pushing it off, but it's supposed to be a lot of rain at some point here, and I don't want to do it out there when it's wet because it's gross. Um, so I decided to go do it and um, take a break from yard work. 
And one thing that's been on my mind lately that I, I can't seem to shake sort of obsessively has been death, physical death. So while I was out there, I was sort of asking this meditation energy or me, um, why am I so focused on this? I'm someone who has had the quote unquote big enlightenment experience. And yes, I came back and had the feeling of a choice of whether I want to come back to normal or not. And I chose to do that. I've had the experience of being blissed out, no fear person. Um, I definitely chose away from that, which I'm not so sure was a good choice, but (laughs) it happened. Like it wasn't an inevitable choice. It really was literally a choice to help a friend out, um, who wanted to do some political stuff and said he wouldn't do it without my help. And so I didn't want to let him down. So I decided I would help him. And in so doing sort of regrounded myself. Um, and I think I've talked about that before in the show, but that's the rough sketch of it. But anyway, so I've been blissed out guy. I've had the big, I am, uh, nothingness exploding into existence, everythingness and spirit riding on that everythingness through that everythingness as that everythingness. And that is me. Got it. I also get that when you come back to earth and are regrounded or whatever, that even the old issues that you've understood your way through and, and peeled away like layers of an onion to reveal the nothingness inside, um, they do, uh, they're still there as sort of patterns that haunt you and um, kind of want to be you again. Um, I get all of this. I, I'm the one who understands all of this. And so where is this creeping obsessive fear of death coming from when I'm one who knows and knows that knowing isn't enough. Like when the experience just becomes knowledge, when you're no longer experiencing, but have had an experience, uh, you're no longer that right. And so you're, you're you again. And, and that becomes more and more of a fading memory. Um, but just getting all that, doesn't negate the mechanism of it. So I can get as much as I want. I'm still becoming that, which I fully understand is a degradation of uh, who I once was. Um, And so as I'm out there wondering what this is about at one point, uh, this energy was dancing me around the gazebo and doing all these sort of mudras and Kriya movement, yoga postures and whatever the hells. And, uh, with my eyes closed, my vision, the bottom half of my vision really turned to this like sort of beautiful white with a hint of, or a hue of, I should say violet light that I thought maybe was just like our gazebo, you know, is white with uh, with natural wood posts. And so if it's the bottom of my vision, could my eyes be slightly opened? And then I'm just looking at the ground and and with the sunlight, it's creating this this hallucination or this sort of, you know, illusion, I guess, of uh, that light. Um, which I've never seen before or since, but I guess it's possible, except that then... Um, I would turn my head or turn my body and 
um, to where there's just lava, which is black rock, and it's still there. The, vis- the visual with my eyes closed is still the same. I'm not looking at the floor of the gazebo, or I'm not pointed in the direction of even the gazebo at all. Um, I'm not seeing my hands move as my arms are waving around doing these poses in the air. So there's no sense that my eyelids are still open a little. And it has this sort of peaceful vibe to it. Like, it was a feeling that this has something to do with death. You know, and then you think about like, oh, go to the light and that sort of thing. And maybe, maybe that's kind of what I was seeing, sort of, maybe, I don't know. After that, um, there's more gestures and dancing around and then sitting on the gazebo stairs and just feeling my feelings, I guess you could say. And the feelings that came to mind were about um, our cat Oscar dying and my guilt that I still had or have, I don't know. It feels like it's over, but maybe not about how he died. Like I have to keep reminding myself that we had to put him to sleep because, um, he was doing so poorly. He wasn't eating. He wasn't responding well. He was hiding under a desk and was in a lot of pain. Uh, so we had to do what we had to do. But when we brought him to the vet in the car ride, he was very lucid and seemed chipper, which is not like him because he's afraid of car rides and afraid of everything, really. Um, but he was more alive than he had been in days and and when he was sitting there on the table getting the euthanization, um, and this is during, was this, this must have been during COVID, right? Yeah, because we were standing outside looking in a window as this was happening. We weren't in the room with him. And he looked sad and confused and like, you know, like we betrayed him or, you know, at two vein a. Uh, at least that's how I felt. I felt as though we betrayed him somehow. And I thought about that, and I thought about the one time we caught a rat in a glue trap in the garage. I don't know if I talked about this on the show or not. I probably did. But just how the rat, when I I had to, it's like now you're confronted with this thing that you have to murder. Uh, Because it's not dead. The glue trap isn't doing what it says it's going to do. It's half out of this glue trap, and it's snapping and growling at me like a dog. Like it really wants to take my head off. And rats are kind of terrifying like that. I didn't realize that. But I guess when you're trapped and you know you're, you're going to die, this is what you become. So I filled a bucket with hot water and my plan was to grab it with uh, some sort of branch clipper and put it in the water and drown it, I think. Um, and when I came at it with the clippers, it stopped snapping. It stopped growling. Uh, it started whimpering and I got the thing caught in the glue trap and then the whole glue trap with the rat came up and then I dumped the whole thing in the bucket until it died. And I have uh, not felt good about that at all since then. Like I murdered this rat, which when you say rat, it sounds like, ah, who cares? A rat. Like a lot of people have that reaction. But number one, this is a country rat, not a New York disgusting, you know, gutter rat. Uh, but also, it it was clear, not just in its, it was clear in its change of reaction that it was every bit as sentient 
as I am. Every bit as alive as I am. Every bit as wanting to live and protective of its life as I am. And who am I to murder this thing for committing the cardinal crime of entering the house in the middle of the sanctuary? Right? I mean, if you can choose who you give sanctuary to, is it really a sanctuary? Not for all life, I guess. But as I was sitting there in the stairs of the gazebo, I started crying, thinking about this rat and thinking about our cat. And the again, the the, the just the drastic change from snapping in the corner to whimpering to its real feeling. You know, one is the outward, I'm gonna get you, I'm gonna kill you, I'm gonna escape. And then the real inner terror of what's going on is revealed that this rat is feeling. And I just started bawling my eyes out there in the gazebo. I didn't even tell Carol this because, well, she'll hear this anyway. (laughs) But uh, it's like some things you just don't want to talk about, you know, mainly because it feels like talking about them cheapens them. Like they're alive in the moment. And then when you retell them, uh, it's cheapened, and that always feels like that at, right after I've quote unquote meditated, whatever you want to call that out there. Um, but with time, of course, it is a memory, and it's already dead and cheapened. So here I can give it to you like a flea market. <laughs> flea market spirituality, folks. So maybe. Uh, resuscitating this bird was also, I'm not going to say more for me than the bird, certainly not, but included me. There was something in there that, that I needed to do for me. I needed to have a win. I needed to rescue an animal, not just murder them. So that's where I'm at. And I think these issues are coming up for me in this obsessive way because this is what I need to understand that which is unfolding through this obsession with death is what I need to understand to no longer be I, uh, because positive negation on the issues that formerly were me won't work again because they're not me anymore. Even if they are ghosts flittering about, you can't, uh, you can't use the same quote unquote process technique or whatever you want to call that the same, understand the same things that you've already understood. To uh, to dissolve them, because um, it's not like you know, it's not as though I don't have human feelings anymore, and I don't feel things. It's just that there's way more self awareness about them now, including like whenever I get down, I'm immediately brought to yeah, but you know that this isn't real, and not in the depressed like this isn't real man way, but in the reality of it, like no, your first person, first hand experience of the real dictates that you're, you know, falling back asleep, but not in the way that is like a judgment or just like logical words (laughs) to make sense of something. Literally, I know this to be the case. I am this case. And so how does that guy wake up out of the remnants of his self yet again? Um, I suspect, though I can't know, this is a part of that. Um, so 
don't be surprised if this season we're talking a little bit more about death than normal. I, I don't know because I haven't recorded anything else. But death is on the mind, that's for sure. And, um, and also with that life. I had other plans for this season, just like last season. I had other plans for last season and just haven't quite gotten to them yet because the immediacy of what feels like I should, I should be doing now uh, seems to want to come to the fore instead of my plans, as is so often the case for many of us, right? Um, I'm sure there's a John Lennon quote about that somewhere. But let's uh, let's take this journey together on our Undoing Radio, and let's keep this a sanctuary. And keep OurUndoing.com a sanctuary. Not one where we learn and become masters and go out and teach the world or, you know, do self-help, self-improvement on us so that we can move on to the next thing that's really going to give us power just a place where we can have the honesty to say that it's sad that this sanctuary must exist because we need sanctuary from ourselves in the same way that birds need sanctuary from us. We need sanctuary online from all the other social media garbage, distraction, and fun things and good things, you know, all of it. But where's the depth? Where's the slightly deeper than the surface with its own sense of aliveness, not like just dead quotes from dead people? Website. Well, that's what OurUndoing.com is, and it's free. So go take in the essays and the audio and the video and um, move beyond this podcast. It will at least enhance this podcast, if not uh, go even beyond what we're doing here in the show. All right, that's it. I've got ducks to feed. (laughs) Gotta go.